If you have a Bible, you want to turn to Hebrews 11. I'm going to uh, wrap up our story series this morning. And so, really it's been, man, it's been a powerful uh, several months here, or however long we've been um, attacking this series. Um, And really what I want to do today is I want to think about this idea of what it looks like to live in story um, and to think about our lives as a story under the grand story, as we've been saying a lot. Um, and, but also, I want to try to flesh out what it looks like to continue the story. Um, because while we, even the people we put on the screen, we've kind of highlighted, here's their story, look at what God's done. But they don't stop, do they? It's like God's continuing a work, let's continue moving forward. So how, how, how do we do that? How do we continue moving forward um, in our story. So let's pray and ask God to engage our hearts this morning, specifically around the text of Hebrews 11, and then we'll get going. God, um, we need your spirit here. Uh, and so I pray that uh, the words of your uh, scripture would come alive, um, that the words of your spirit would be spoken powerfully into hearts, into my heart, into the heart of everyone here, that we would hear what you have to say, not what I have to say, um, not what I think, because that really doesn't matter, God. And so would you weed through the mess of my life and uh, my um, frail attempts, and may my flesh be completely moved away, and may your spirit come in power to engage us. Um, And so God, I just say we're desperate for you um, to engage our hearts this morning. Uh, in Christ's name, Amen. Um, so, all of us, we, we've been we've been talking through the, these themes of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and all of us um, really are living in these themes in some regard. These themes really are in every story and every sphere of society. But I was thinking, um, think about the, the picture of reflecting back on what we've been talking a lot about. Um, I was thinking about that even in light of my own life. Um, we've had each one of these moments, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, come and, and invade uh, my story and my family and my life. And I just want to kind of give you a glimpse of what that looks like. Some of this might sound familiar, but um, for, for the past several years, um, really God, in, we had a lot of creation moments in what it looks like for God to call my family in particular to adopt. Um, this picture where God is putting this, birthing this work into our hearts um, as a family, as individuals. Um, he's birthing this vision of what it looks like for the Kuntzes to not have a traditional family and to walk. We just felt like that was a calling God has for us. It's not a calling God has for everybody. It's a calling God has for us. And so he began to put that in us. He's creating these moments and creating this vision in our hearts. But really the foundation of the creation moments that God did in us was what it looks like that God is actually our adopted father. Like, I wasn't on board at all with what God wanted to do until he just wrecked my heart regarding the fact that God adopted me. Like, that, that ruined me. Um, and, and so God began this vision within us, um, but very quickly there were a whole lot of fall moments, right? Unbelief, God, I don't trust you. God, I don't, I don't, I don't think you're in this. God, what, well, you're crazy, you ever have those moments, like where you just tell God he's crazy? Okay, you should because you think that, right? So don't be like, I can't tell him that. Like, well, you 
We have those moments. God, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? What is going on? We've had tons of those moments over the past several years and over the past year where just the effects of sin waging war in our home, where we want to settle for loving ourselves more than loving others, more than loving the brokenness in our home, where Danielle and I, we've, we've confessed times that we just haven't loved well the, the kids that God's entrusted to us. We've struggled with that. Um, our biological kids really coming to despise early on the other kids. I mean, you're like, I, I see this in my own home, right? Like, we see that with, with kids, but in our picture, in our scenario, like, situations where our kids just be normal again. And so we're like, God, you're crazy. What, like, what are you doing? These fall moments. God, I don't trust you. I don't believe you. Uh, struggling with belief, in the, and it still creeps in all the time, all the time, all the time. But it's crazy, and, and the, the restoration and the redemption moments that we've seen, where in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the brokenness, we've begun to see glimpses of healing. We begin to see glimpses of God restoring what, what's been broken by the mess of life and by the mess of sin. Um, God's worked in our hearts and our kids' hearts to trust Him more, um, He's pushed us to this, like, where our desperation for him is heightened. Like, God, we need you to do this life. We need you to be the people you've called us to. We've seen two medical kids come to the place where they really have no medical needs. Like, that's miraculous under the hand of God. God's redemptive work is continuing to carry out in our stories. Um... As far as restoration moments, when I hear restoration, what I think of is this, that we get past the consumeristic mentality of grace and we begin to give it out. So where we're constantly just absorbing grace, absorbing grace, absorbing grace, and we will, for the rest of our life, be absorbing grace, but where it doesn't push us to actually then do through us what God's done to us, we're not people of restoration. And we've, like, God's begun to work that. In our family, so just kind of telling my family story here is a picture of looking back and under these themes. We've seen God begin to do a work of restoration where even in our own kids' hearts, they've gone past the point of just absorbing grace and they begin to serve and love. Not every day, not always, not perfect by any means, not even in my own heart. But we've begun to see God really showing us a picture of what a restored family could look like and will look like and what his hope is for that the task of loving and taking what we've received and giving. Really a picture of heaven. Okay, that's, that's in many ways, these themes are in all of our lives. So I was just trying to give you a picture of how we've seen it in our lives so maybe you can pinpoint that and just kind of reminding us as, we've, as we sit under this series, here's, here's what we've said over and over and over again. We're living the life of a beautiful mess. As God's people, we're living out a story under the banner of God's story. We've said that every single week over and over and over again. So here's the question, as I said at the very beginning, what I want to tackle. How do we continue? How do we continue moving forward in our story as faithful people? Um, in college, I loved all-nighters. Anybody? Anybody love all-nighters? Um, I've come to hate them. Now, but um, in college, I loved all-nighters, like, and, and they oftentimes were like, um, I, I just say, I was really good at pumping out like a 20-page paper in an overnight, right? 
Um, and it usually entailed a trip to like McDonald's where you could get like two double cheeseburgers for like two dollars. Because that really, you know, it just put the fuel that you needed um, to actually do the work of writing a paper. Um, uh, not so much. But anyway, we thought it did. Um, and, and so, um, but really what, as I look back on that and what I thought was just this, this procrastination me, um, and maybe on some level it was as a, as a dumb college kid, um, and still in, in my own uh, idiosyncrasies, I've come to realize that there's a struggle in my life to finish well. I love like starting things and starting projects and different things, but actually as a perfectionist, like saying, okay, this is done. Like, I'm, okay, let's move on. Like, and so I've begun to see, like this, the Spirit's revealed to me that there's a lot of just kind of unfinished things that God's like, we need to work on that. Like you're beginning to neglect that to go on to something else. Um, and let me just say this, that this series has been profound for my own heart and on my own life to help me realize what it looks like to finish. Now, you might be thinking like, okay, um, most of us are a pretty young church. Like, why are we talking about finishing well? Here's my contention, is that if we don't understand how to finish well, we won't live well. Because they're really one and the same. So let's go to Hebrews 11. There's a ton that can be learned from those that have gone before us. And so we're going to look at Hebrews 11. Um, I, I want to, uh, I'm going to actually, we're going to focus on 13 through 16 predominantly, but I want to jump to 37 and 38 uh, just to kind of jump us in here. Um, check this out. It says, uh, they were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in sheeps, or in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Okay, now for a second, get past the sawn in two part. We'll talk about that just briefly in a second because I hope that hung you up. Um, but, but notice the, the phrase that said, of whom the world is not worthy worthy. Um, you've, heard, uh, you've heard us talk about this word a lot. You've heard Rick talk about this word, axios, a lot. Really this idea of, of equal weight. And so think about God. God's nature and God's character says that he's worthy of our worship. Right now, sometimes our worship isn't of equal weight to what he's worthy of and who he is, but that idea of worthy is like, here's who God is, and here's what he deserves and what he's worthy of. Okay? The scripture just got done saying that these guys in the Bible, the lives of the faithful, the world didn't deserve them. The world did not deserve their lives. Now, it's crazy because, like, we spent some time talking about guys like David. Um, you've heard about guys like Abraham and different people in the scriptures that their lives were a mess. Yet in the mess, God's working a redemption and the Bible just got done saying, the world didn't deserve their lives. So there must have been something, like what made these people so special, so just different in a way that the world didn't deserve their lives. Um, okay, now let's go to Hebrews eleven uh, thirteen. 
It says this, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would not have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. Look at the first phrase. What does it say? It says, these all died in faith. Okay, think about that. Okay, so they, they, didn't, have, they didn't have this faith that dwindled. Their faith was marked in their life. Um, I, think, I think it's interesting, and I think something we have to be very careful of um, it, in our context, as we think about, we have a very high view of salvation, a very high view of God's grace and God's sovereignty, right? Um, and so in the midst of having this view that God's the active one to pursue us, God's grace is sufficient, God's grace is above and beyond everything, what, what can that lead us to do? Kind of fall back on our heels and think that, well, my, it, it's God's faithfulness, not my faithfulness, right? Well, yeah, but that doesn't nullify our faithfulness. Okay, we're, we're actually, um, in a couple weeks, about to jump into the book of James to talk about actually why is obedience important? Why does what we do matter? Okay, it's always in response to what God's done. But what's crazy about this passage is we learn from these heroes of the faith is that their faith was robust. It was intense. They lived an intense life of faith before God. They were alive and well. They didn't fizzle out. It says they died in faith. Um, I want you to imagine if you were, uh, you were walking down the street and a, a gunman came up to you, held a gun to your head and said, I want you to give me your money. What do you do in that moment? No. Well, you give them your money, right? It's like, or your life. Some, some money in your wallet or your life. Now, some of you are like, no, I'm going to take them out. Okay, like, you might be a, a rare breed. Um, but, uh, right, okay, or you're driving in your car. Somebody comes to your car with a gun and says, I want you to give me your car. Okay, no, you can't hit them. Take, it's just not, not going to work. They pull you out of the car. Okay, what do you do? You give them the car. Right, it's not worth your life. Right? It's not worth your family's life for a car. Okay, we, we just got done reading about somebody sawn in two. Okay, that just blows me away because, okay, think about this. If I'm in a place where someone's threatening to cut me in half, like, give me your car, I'm going to cut you in half. Oh, here are the keys. There's an extra set in the trunk. Like, you're like, there's, I'm not holding on to that. So why in the world? How would somebody get to the place where they would, they would be willing to give up their life? To like Isaiah's tradition says, with a wooden saw was cut in half for his faith. Like that's crazy, isn't it? Like you, you hear that and you're just like, I don't know, man. It's crazy. But gosh, there's got to be something legit to his faith to get to the point where he's like, 
I'm not backing down on who I believe in and what I believe. He's like, you can't have my car. Take my life. Like, that's what he's saying. Like, that's faith. That's the kind of faith that marked out these men and these women in Hebrews chapter 11. So one of the questions that, that I've been asking, that the elders have continually be, been asking, is how can, how can we be a church with deep-rooted faith that knows deeply the God of the Bible that knows deeply the stories of Scripture and knows deeply the gospel. Um, and, and how can we nurture that? How can we nurture our own hearts to know God deeply, to have deep faith? Um, and how can we nurture your hearts? And so um, one of the things that we've decided to do is uh, monthly, uh, we're going to begin doing what we're just going to call dinner and theology. Um, don't be scared by the word theology. It just means the study of God. And so we're going to gather once a month um, and invite you to come once a month for dinner and to dive into some topic and to say, what is, who is God in light of a specific topic? And so, um, uh, for example, September 13th, we're going to look at the issue of homosexuality and what, like, what does it think of, of this? And how do we as the church respond? Because there's been a whole lot of ungodly responses. And so what, what do we believe as a church? But how do we think through this issue and talk through this issue? Um, October 11th, we're going to talk about heaven. What is heaven? What do we believe about heaven? What does the Bible teach about heaven? We hear all these things about heaven, but what is it? Why does it matter? And, and on and on, we're going to think through a lot of different topics and a lot of different issues. And here's the point, is that we would grow in what it looks like to be, be deep-rooted people in the things of God and have a deep faith in things of God. Listen, so that we can endure. So that we can endure. Here, here's, here's my con- contention. Mission in North County is not going to get any easier. Like if, you're, if, if you desire to be a part of this church and you're called to be a part of this church, um, we believe that you're also called to reach here. Because that's our heart and our mission. Not that you don't reach elsewhere, not that you don't reach your neighborhood, or if you don't live in North County. But what I'm saying is that your, your desire in being a part of North Church is that we want to see God saturate North County with the gospel. And we want you to be a part of that. Well, we need to be deep-rooted people that press into who God is if we're going to be faithful to, to walk that out and fight the fight in the mission of making disciples in North County. These people were deep-rooted, faithful people because of the faithfulness of God. Let's go back to Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Okay, think about this for a second. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Um, what God, what's something that God promised them? I'm going to lead you to what? You remember? The promised land. It's like, I'm going, to, I'm going to rescue you out of the tyranny, oppression you're in. I'm going to take you to a land where you're free. I'm going to take you to a land, the Bible's like, this is heaven on earth. Do you know that those patriarchs never saw that? They heard about it. They heard about it. They never saw the fulfillment of that promise. That's what it said, right? 
They died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. It's like, like that's what they're talking about. That's it there. Can you, can you imagine that? Or even like the rest of the characters in Hebrews 11, you can go to verse 39 and see that it says they all died in faith having not received what was promised. What was promised? The Messiah. That Jesus would come. There was talk and belief. And like, is it real? You know, they didn't see it. They didn't see it. You, you, you take those, those individuals that actually got to see the promised land, actually got to enter the promised land, and they see, God's, they see God's faithfulness. They see, okay, God promises, and we see it. Yet these guys, they died in faith even though they didn't receive that promise at that moment in their lifetime. So what enabled them to endure and not give up? I think verse 13 is huge. Where it says that they had an identity as strangers and foreigners. Okay, Abraham talked about this in and you can look it up later, Genesis 23, 4, and Jacob in Genesis 47, 9 talked about that their time on the earth was as strangers. Okay, now, what's it like to be a stranger? Come on. What's it like to be a stranger? Awkward. Lonely. Scary. How many of you hate being a stranger? Anybody love it? You gotta love it, man. No? <laughs> like most, most people, most people raise their hands. Okay, so think about that. Awkward, scary, what was the other one that said? Lonely. The Bible says that that's our reality as, as God's people on the earth. Yet how much of our life is, I got to get out of the awkward. I got to get out of the scary. I got to get out of the lonely. But actually, the more and more we press in to the Lord, the more we see that our lives will be scary if we're going to walk in obedience. Things will be awkward if we're going to engage people with the idea that God was born of a virgin. Like, you're crazy. Right? What, you love your enemies? No, you beat the mess out of them. Okay, that, those are awkward conversations because the kingdom of God is backwards, flipped over, and inside out. And it doesn't make sense sometimes to us, a lot of times to us, but even to those that we're loving and ministering to and trying to reach. Verse 14, it says this, for people who Speak thus, make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. Okay, So they're saying, this place isn't my home. This isn't where I'm designed to live. We aren't comfortable here. We weren't meant to be comfortable here. So stop trying to be comfortable here. It's believing the lie of the, the American dream. This pursuit that lures you out of the uncomfortable life of self-sacrifice and into this narcissistic, self-serving, God, just give me and bless me and help me. 
And it'll just be easy and we'll just carry on until you come and get us. And we see from the faithful saints of old, that was not their story. That's not what marked them. It was awkward and it was scary. And much of their life was marked by sin. But much of their life was marked by a faithful God who worked faithfulness in their hearts to enable them to be faithful, to carry out what God had called them to. Here's what I want to challenge you with. And I just want, if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. If you don't hear anything else I say all morning, I want you to hear this. The mark of growing maturity in Christ is that you feel less and less at home on the earth. Hear that. The mark of a growing, maturing follower of Jesus is that you feel less and less at home on the earth. And more and more, your prayer is, God, God get us out. And when we feel less and less at home, we don't run from it. We don't bail. I'm out of here. I'm moving on. I got to find a place where I'm more comfortable. I got to find a place that's more like me. Now you go where the mission is. You go where God's called you. Not what's comfortable because where God calls you is never going to be comfortable. But we press into the promises of God that he's our satisfaction and not our present location or our present situation of where we are. Okay, can, can, we, can we just admit? It sucks. Like, I'm looking at, like, you guys staring at me. I'm like, I don't know if you're tired or if you're just like, is he really saying, like, live uncomfortable lives? Woohoo, let's go do it. Like, it's crazy. It's not fun. But Psalm 1611 says that in his presence is the most joyful thing you will ever experience apart from anything else. God, help us believe that's true. Look at 15. If they'd been thinking of that land, they would have had gone out. They would have, if they, let me back and start over. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is the heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And now check this out. Over and over and over again in the Bible, God's referred to as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, right? And actually, Jacob, who is the most flawed one of them, is actually more referenced than the others, the God of Jacob. Sinful, broken, messed up people that God's like, they're mine. I and I like unwilling to associate or, or want, want someone to know we associate with someone. Right? You ever been like embarrassed by like a friend, like friends just be, being like a moron and you're just like, I don't, know, I don't know that guy. Right? Or like kids going crazy in the store and you're like, I'm not, I'm not there. They don't belong to me. Like somebody get a hold of that kid. I'm not, I'm not associating with them. Yet God, what does it say? God is not ashamed to be called their God. 
God's not up in heaven like, oh my gosh, you guys are ruining it for me. Like, I'm a pretty cool guy and you're making me look awful. No. God's view of us is based in the purchase work of Christ. He's not up there ashamed. So I'll just ask, are there people you're ashamed to associate with? Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker, or a child, or family member. Or maybe it's your city. Gosh, I don't want people to know I live in North County. I don't want people to know, oh, where do you live? Oh, Missouri. Right? I'll just say, if we're going to be a church that's going to be for our community... And we've got to be mature in the area of associating and, and learning to love where God's called us. Now, if God hasn't called you here, then okay. If God's called you here, jump in. Let's get to work. And I know many of you, he has. And our elders, we believe we're called here and God's at work here and wants to do a work to reach the city we live in. I want to show you Philippians 3 as I begin to wrap up. Look at Philippians 3. It's going to be up on the screen. Don't take the time to turn there because I'm just going to go. Philippians 3. Listen to how Paul articulates all that we've been talking about. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But those of us who are mature think this way. So he's going to give some picture of what it looks like to be a mature Christian in light of living as strangers in the world. He says this. But those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told of you, told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So you want to know what immature faith or possibly no faith at all could look like? Surrounding yourself with what makes you comfortable. Their God is their belly. It's like personal appetite. I got to feed it. I got to feed it. What do I want? What do I need? Give me, give me, give me. What does mature faith look like? Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Gosh, that's our hope. That's our hope. Is God, you're, you're coming back. You're doing a work now, but you're coming back. And so in the meantime, we want to we bring heaven to earth. We want to live as people that show the world what God is like, what the Father is like, what heaven is like. We want to be that kind of people because we long for the return of Christ. So the promise we may die not seeing, like Hebrews 11 said, they died in faith having not received what was promised. Christ's return. What will happen in our lifetime, we don't know. But yet we look forward and we press in to who God is and what he's called us to in the hope of his return. So I just want to ask this question, how will, how will we finish our story? When people look back on your life, 
Well, let's think about this. 60 years. What will be our story as a church? That maybe we didn't see a turnaround in the housing market or some massive revival in our city. I pray we do. Or some big turnaround where everyone's flooding to live in North County. Or a church that grew to be hundreds and hundreds of people. But maybe our testimony would be we're faithful to live out the gospel. We're faithful to live as strangers and aliens where it's not comfortable. It's kind of awkward sometimes. Like, I just don't want to be here sometimes. You ever feel that? You ever come in the room and there's like, if ever's on vacation and we're a small church and you're like, all right, this is kind of weird. I, you ever, does anyone else ever feel that? That's not the point. Let's be faithful to God. Let's ask Him to do the work, and let's ask where we can grow in our faithfulness to God. May that be our testimony. A hymn writer from the 1800s and a poet wrote this beautiful hymn. It is not for me to be seeking my bliss and building my hopes in a region like this. I look for a city which hands have not piled. I pant for a country by sin undefiled. Let's pray. God, the reality of walking with you is tough. Yet it's so good. It's awkward sometimes. It's weird. God, guard us from running. And would you birth a faith in us that would lead us to live out our lives and even live out our deaths in a way that would say we are yours and yours alone. And nothing can take us from that. God, we just want to be that kind of people. We want that to be our testimony that when the world sees the believers at North Church living out their lives and living out their mission as the people of God, they would say, gosh, there's something different about that place. Something different about that kind of love. The faithful people. God, grow us in this. God, we love you. And we thank you for the cross. And we thank you for who you are. In Christ's name, amen.